I wonder what's the centerpiece at your house for Christmas. I don't think too many of us have a candelabra like this, you know. Um, But if you're at all like me and your traditions and your family are anything like ours, the Christmas tree has long been the centerpiece. Is Is that true for you as well? Uh, And I can even remember one particular Christmas. It was a very sad and uh, Christmas for me. I was single again, and I was living alone, and I just, I I didn't feel like decorating. Ever had a Christmas like that? And I I didn't put up the tree. And I remember it didn't feel like Christmas until I showed up at my parents' house, and there it was, you know? There are some times that I've tried to get by without a Christmas tree, and, and the vacancy was painfully real, you know? Uh, the centerpiece is, is kind of important, or at least it always has been at, at my house. Maybe you have a, a centerpiece that's a Christmas tree as well. And uh, it's been the centerpiece uh, in my family for many years, maybe yours as well. Many of us have taken our family Christmas pictures in front of a tree of some sort. Uh, I don't have a clicker up here, so you're going to have to advance that for me. That, that may look familiar, uh, somewhat like the Christmas pictures that you might be taking. I see many of you with your extended family here tonight. You might have a pick opportunity like that when you go home. I have no idea who these two people are, but they're obviously brother and, and sister, I think. And, and the Chris, Or, you know... Do you, do you get those cards where every family is more beautiful than the last one? Do you still get those cards? I, I think this family out, outdid them there. Uh, or there. There's obviously, I don't know what the white glove thing is there, but uh, obviously a, a blast from the past with the tinsel and so forth. Or do you remember, do you remember the white Christmas tree? Did anybody have one of these? Can you admit this? You, you, were, you probably grew up in discotheques as well, but, but, but many of us can remember the, the, the tinsel tree, um, and I, you know, maybe that's the night that dad first cross-dressed too, I, I don't know there, but anyway, and, 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 or, or it's a tree like this, you know, some of them are really full, and then some of them are more, they have more character, I guess, like this, or what's the next one look like? Yes, anybody seen Junior? There, there he is up at the top. Yeah, or here's another one. <laughs> Silent night. It just might be possible if that's your approach. And next, maybe you can remember times of telling stories under those trees, all the, the love that's gathered around them through the years. Those centerpieces are important. So, some of these trees are, are so... Uh, um, such strong symbols that they've even become almost a character in movies. Do you remember this movie? You know which one that one's from? Anybody got an idea? Home Alone. Yeah, here's another one. <laughs> Christmas Vacation. Very good. Here, here's another with a starring role for the Christmas tree. Yeah, very good. A Charlie Brown Christmas. Okay, and we're going to get a little harder. Here's the next one. That's a Wonderful Life, of course. Yes, and here's another one. I thought I'd stump somebody there, but y'all had it. A white Christmas. There's Bing over there in, in, on the right. 
Christmas trees have always been kind of a, a centerpiece to our Christmas celebrations, and that's with good reason. The Christmas tree wasn't originally anything Christian. It was actually a pagan symbol. Uh, the people of the north, just north of Germany, uh, actually my uh, heritage of folks, the Norsemen, they, they had pagan holidays where they would take stuff that was green from the world into their homes. Uh, they would take mistletoe because it stayed green. The winters there were bitter, and they, they killed everything off. And so in, in the middle of that winter, on the, the longest of nights, uh, they had festivals uh, where they celebrated to their god, Jewel. Uh, or maybe you've heard of Yule tide festivals yeah it's from roots that far back uh, but the tree was a part of it they not only brought in the mistletoe and they brought in green wreaths uh, they believed that since those things stayed green through the the harshness and the darkness and the death of winter that they must promise some kind of life in the midst of our darkness. So they'd take them into their homes and they would, uh, uh, their home would have a different scent. And, and uh, you know, it was, it, was, it was kind of the Glade air freshener approach of the day, I guess. They would, and they would bring in whole Christmas trees. Well, not Christmas trees, but whole evergreen trees uh, into their homes. And as the Catholic Church started evangelizing north, uh, they came to these lands, these Germanic and uh, Nordic lands, and one of their uh, key evangelists, um, Saint Boniface, I want to say, is that right? Saint, yes, Boniface, in the, at about the 8th century, uh, he, he came to these people, and rather than doing away with the tree, he decided what God had done with most of us, he could do with the tree, he could convert it. And so St. Boniface had this to say as he cut down a tree that had been a pagan symbol of sacrifice, of human sacrifice, he noticed that at the base of that tree was sprouting this little evergreen. And of that evergreen then, he then turned to these Nordic people and he said, this humble tree's wood is used in your homes But let Christ be at the center of your households. Its leaves remain evergreen in the darkest of days. Let Christ be then your constant light. Its boughs reach out to embrace and its top points to heaven. Let Christ be your comfort. Let Christ be your guide. From that point on, Christians adopted the Christmas tree into their celebrations is something that both pointed to God and pointed us out towards loving one another. And it's interesting that in the center of our celebrations where we share so much love at home, this tree still stands. It's a sign of traditions from the past, from long ago that few of us remember, but it's also become precious uh, in our memory through the years. The Christmas tree for many of us has become kind of the the centerpiece. But I wonder if you would take St. Boniface's challenge and let Christ be the centerpiece. As you look at the uh, Krish this morning, the the nativity scene, as I always called it growing up, there's a certain way you have to set those up. Am I right? 
the star has to be over what? The stable or the cradle. It's important that the star be there if you've got a star. Who puts that out at your house? Do you have one of those there? And, and the Mary and Joseph, the shepherd and the wise men, they can't just be turned in any direction. They're always turned towards the centerpiece. It doesn't matter if it was the shepherds or the magi or the star God hung in the high, on high. They were all pointing us to the centerpiece of Christmas. They were all pointing us to Christ. And tonight I'd like to explore just a little bit the truth of the matter that the things we do for our centerpiece, the Christmas trees that we choose, are also very similar to the things that God has done for us in Christ. How how many of you have a live tree at home? Does anybody still do that anywhere? We've got a few over here. Uh, One in the back. Yeah, a few over here. That's great. That's great. I, I... my family, maybe because we were a pastor's family, we never had time. It takes time, doesn't it, to, to walk through uh, that yard of trees. And it's strange to me, but everybody picks a different tree. It's not like everybody's fighting over the same tree. We all have an idea of what's right for our place. Maybe our ceilings are different heights. Maybe we've got a different place in the house that we want to place them. We have something in mind when we go to that lot and start searching until finally... Somebody says, that's perfect. That's perfect. That's the one we choose, right? And, and, and then we can't just take it home. You know, even as kids, we, we understood that. You can't just grab the tree and run off from the lot. One would get arrested, right? That, that, that's not legal. So somebody has to purchase the tree. And most of the time, we as kids never had the money to do it. We had to count on it being a gift from our father. And he would purchase it. And then we'd take it home. But is that the end of the story? Hardly. Hardly. So do you expect it to be the end of the story for you? What we do for our trees, God's done for us. He he picked you. He purchased you that he might take you home. You are precious in his sight. He has picked you. You wonder who this Christ is reaching out to in the cradle. He picks you. That was the good news. That, that was what the shepherds heard from the angels, that this is, this is a gift, not just for some of the people, but for how many of the people? All. And you know what in the Greek uh, that word for all means? All. <laughs> all. Every, every one of us. What an incredible message there is in the cradle. That he didn't come just to handle our sin problem on a cross. He came as a baby in a cradle that he might grow up with us, that he might know us, that he might be with us. This God wants to be with you. He has chosen you. Nobody knew that better than Peter. In fact, in Peter's epistle to us, in his letter to us, that's how he speaks not just of himself, That's the title he gives all of us. The Apostle Peter, Peter, to those, his letter says, to those. You know the little tag on the presence? From Peter to the chosen. That's his word. Not just religious people. Peter knew that. He wondered who was going to follow the rabbi. And lo and behold, the rabbi came looking for him. 
you, you can use people of, of a certain caliber, can't you, Jesus? But, but a guy like me, Jesus said, cast out into the deep and throw your nets into the sea. And God pulled in for him a catch that was beyond any fisherman's imagination. He falls to his knees and says, Lord God, depart from me. Surely I'm not your pick. Oh, but Peter, you follow me. It doesn't depend on you. You follow me and I will make you become all that I want you to be, a fisher of men. Peter discovered that over and over again. He's in the garden that night trying to get close to Jesus. His Lord has been arrested. He's going to be crucified soon. He wonders if he can even be identified with him, if he wouldn't end up on the cross immediately next to him, perhaps, if he showed himself for who he really was. He denies him three times, and he goes out into the darkness that night, weeping, weeping, defeated, broken. I wonder why. I wonder if he thought he had blown it. I wonder if he thought that God's pick of him was now disqualified. I don't think that's what it was about. I think that night in the courtyard after Peter had denied him three times and realized he had done so, at that moment that the cock crowed as it had been prophesied, I think Peter turned and looked at Jesus. And what he discovered in Jesus' face was not disappointment or disgust. I think he discovered that Jesus looked back at him still believing in him. I think he discovered what the woman at the well discovered. She had come there. She was empty. She was coming in the middle of the day because that was the time no one else was at the well. Maybe everyone else knew of her reputation. She had been with five men, and the one she was with now was not her husband. And this stranger from out of town, surely he would not stay. He didn't know her. So she approaches the well, and Jesus says, Woman, if you would uh, allow me, uh, if you would give me a drink of water. And she says, But you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. What dealings do we have with one another? And Jesus says, But if you knew the water that I had to give... <laughs> I ask you for a gift, but I'm the one who's come to give a gift. Isn't it interesting the way we always see ourselves being challenged to believe in God, to pursue God, but the message of Christmas is this. God has pursued us. When we were distant, he came to us. He came for us. And so he then turns to her and he says, woman, uh, The argument about where you worship is not important. A time is coming and now is when they who worship God shall worship him in spirit and in truth. Such a worshiper God seeks even now. I wonder if it dawned on her then. That it wasn't her searching for God. It was God searching for her. And the one who was speaking to her then was the one who had been pursuing her all along. She was picked. She was chosen for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I think sometimes we see the scope of that as something that's depersonalizing. And that's to misunderstand the personal nature of God's choosing. He's picked us like we pick that trait. He's purchased us. Do you not know it says in 1 Corinthians 6.20, For you have been bought with a price. Bought with a price. 1 Peter whom we read from tonight uh, in the very first chapter tells us a little bit about the price that was paid. 
knowing that you were redeemed with not with perishable things like silver or gold as precious as they are but and purchased from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers but with precious blood as a lamb unblemished but spotless the blood of Christ for he was foreknown before the foundation of the world but the appearing in these last times is for your sake his appearing that's a christmas word how many of you've heard the word around christmas epiphany that's the word he epiphanos he he has appeared to us that's what the message of christmas is about he has come for us who through him are believers in god who raised him from the dead and gave him glory So that your faith and hope are not in yourselves, but in God. In God. He's purchased us. He picked us. But then he places us. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go... To prepare a place for you that where I am, you might also be. He's purchased a place for us. He's preparing a place for us. A place eternal with one another and with him forever in the heavens. But God just doesn't reserve a place for us in heaven. He's also made a place for us here. In 1 Corinthians 12, 18, it says that God has placed everyone in the body just as it pleases him. He has placed us, has a place for us in the family of God. Not just in heaven, but here and now. He not only has a place for us in his family, he has a place for us in his purposes. Ephesians 2, 10 says that you are God's workmanship in Christ Jesus that you might walk in those things that he prepared beforehand that you might do. He has a place for you in his purposes, a place for you in his family. I I wonder if you're sensitive to the fact that God may already be working through you to shine his light in whatever dark place you may be inhabiting. (laughs) A gentleman who sits in our midst tonight was out at dinner not too long ago. And, you know, it was a typical dinner out. Um, People were gathered all around, and and the waiters finally came around, as they do often in those restaurants, and and they called out the birthday girl for the night, you know, called her by name, identified her to the whole crowd. She was so embarrassed, and her friends were so excited. And, And then the waiter said, would you join us as we sing the birthday song? And his table sang the birthday song along with everybody else. He'd been asked to join in, so I... Well, and this guy, he doesn't need an invitation. He got up from where he was, and as he walked over, the Spirit of God must have touched his heart as he spoke a blessing over the birthday girl. And but, but God's Spirit didn't stop flowing then. He went from girl to girl around that table and spoke to them about how precious they were in their Heavenly Father's sight. One after another heard a personal word about her heavenly father's heart for her. And when he left the table, it had been such a spirit-anointed moment that almost all the girls at the table were in tears. 
They'd been so blessed by what they had heard. He went back to his table later. And before they left, they had many laughs and lots of fun that night at table. You can imagine six or seven 18-year-old girls out for the night. But as they started to leave, one of them turned back and said, Sir, I, I know I don't know you, and we just met for the first time tonight. But I want you to know, I've never received a better Christmas present in all my life than the one you gave me tonight. That's the gift of Christmas. It tells us something about God's heart for every person we will ever lock eyes with on this planet. He's placed you in the places of this world so that His light might have a way of shining in every dark place. He picks us, He purchases us, He places us, but it doesn't stop there. He doesn't leave us as we are. He prunes us. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does... uh, that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. That's the purpose of the pruning, that we may bear still more fruit. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples, just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. He doesn't stop with placing us. He prunes us. He prunes us by his word. Many of us for the last several weeks have been uh, into the word, particularly as a a daily devotional has, has guided us. It's something that's been printed by Max Lucado. We gave those away for free. I've been working with it in my home. And our family has been blessed by it day by day, a fresh word of who God is to us because of Christmas and because of, of Bethlehem. Tonight, we hope that you'll go home with this uh, extension of that. It's a, uh, it's a devotion for Christmas Day. We won't be having services tomorrow, but that doesn't mean that the Christ that came at Christmas can't be a part of your celebration. We want to help you make it a celebration at home. You might try reading the Word if you've got little ones like Scott did tonight and having fun with it. But this is a powerful, powerful exercise. And at the heart of it is a very simple thing that I've already done at my house. I took a, a piece of paper and I divided it up into fours because there's five of us in our family. And that means if we want to give a message to one of us, it's going to have four parts. You do the math at your place, all right? Uh, but it's just a simple piece of paper, but with a powerful experience packed within it. I'd like to challenge you, maybe tonight or tomorrow morning before you start that devotion, to take a piece of paper and just write in it why that person to you is a special gift this Christmas. To to, to take a moment and just say the things that sometimes we feel but we somehow don't get said. My guess is that a message like that from someone as precious to you as those are who gather around your centerpiece tomorrow. A message like that in a form that's written down and that you can keep may be the treasure of this Christmas that they receive and that you alone can give. It doesn't have to be profound. It just has to be honest and from your heart. 
I've already written mine to my family. I left the cards there. They're writing their notes, their notes tomorrow. It, it, it's just a paragraph. That's about all the space we Buskirks can come up with. But, but, but that's what it works out on our page. Well, if you'd like to do that before you get ready to just read through this devotional tomorrow, it'll take you about oh, 20 or 30 minutes to walk through all of this. But that is the centerpiece uh, of the gift of this devotion. And I hope you'll, you'll take it uh, home. And I hope it'll be a part of uh, your blessing of one another this Christmas. He prunes us. And he prunes us by his word. And I hope that you will share your words with one another. But it doesn't stop there. He also decorates us. He appoints us with his very personality. You see, God wasn't just one to save us for heaven. That was really quite incidental. It wasn't so important to Jesus that he get us all into heaven as it was that he get heaven into us. That's what he came for. That's why we were purchased. That, that's why he sent his spirit to live within us. That we in our common ordinary lives might be decorated with his kind of personality. And the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. All those things that, that Christ was. He wants to shine through us as us. Wherever he's placed us. But this is the last point I want to make. When you let Christ be the centerpiece of your Christmas. You don't have to take down your tree. Just remember that your tree's been converted. It points up to God and it points out to all those he's called you to love. But remember most of all that that centerpiece points us to Christ as our centerpiece. And, and the wonderful message of Christmas is this. As we make Christ our centerpiece, what we discover is he has already made us his centerpiece. I hope you heard it in that passage in 1 Peter. He bought us not with perishable things, but with his precious blood as a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ, for he was foreknown beforehand, the foundation of the world, but has appeared, has epiphanied in these times for the sake of you. As I said earlier, the destiny of Christ was not just a cradle. He purchased us on a cross, purchased our right to become children of God, to be giving a relationship with God, not based on what we do, but based on what he has done for us perfectly. All this was for your sake. Look on God's refrigerator, my friends, and there you will find a picture of you. His precious one, the one for whom he sent his son, we look back at Christmas and say Jesus is the reason for the season and we're right. He is the centerpiece. But the grand discovery in making him the centerpiece is that God looked forward through that first Christmas to each and every one of us. And God's message is that you are the reason for the season
at least in, in his heart. Who is it that this child is reaching out for? My friends, it's you. It's you. I love Bob Benson's story. I must have told it a hundred times here in this church. But it's such a clear picture. He, he had many kids. I think he had actually six kids. And this was his second time to do this. I'm about to do this for the first time with Courtney. She's about to graduate and go off to college. I celebrate that with gritted teeth, if you understand a parent's heart. And Mark, his second son, was now at that age, and he had graduated, and they packed up all of his clothes in one little bag and then packed up his stereo in the rest of the car and, and took him off to the dormitory and helped him get everything up to his room. And there was an awkward hug goodbye, and then... Bob Benson and his wife came and got back in the car. And the two and a half drive home, that two and a half hour drive home was a strangely silent experience. They were both parents of Mark. They didn't need to explain their heavy hearts or the tears that were on their cheeks as they drove silently all the way home. That made sense, but what didn't make sense was the fact that that gloom and that funk kind of landed on Bob in such a way that it stuck around, you know, for weeks thereafter. And, and it, it was Christmas time, and, and uh, uh, his friends were saying, man, why are you so down? And he'd explain to them why. And they didn't understand. You know, you've got six kids. You've still got four at home. Some of them are still of the age that you still have to put the bike together when you bring it home, you know. Piece upon piece. Instructions that try your sanctification. You've still got plenty of kids. What's your problem? Plenty of kids. And Bob couldn't explain it. Until that day that they hurriedly, during the Christmas season, set the table for dinner. And everybody plopped down for dinner. And it was only then that his wife realized that out of sheer habit, she had put a plate there for Mark, who was not going to be there that night. And Bob noticed the absence. And the familiar pain returned to his heart. But following it was an insight. And the insight was this, you know, in parental math, in the math of a parent's heart, plenty of kids, minus any one of my kids, will never be plenty. And it doesn't matter in the heart of God. All who have turned to him already all of his kids, minus you, does not equal plenty. And so if tonight on this Christmas Eve, you find his spirit especially close, maybe even a bit smothering as a parent, try to give him a break. This may be one of those nights he misses you so bad it drives him crazy. 
the message of Christmas is that God has come for you. You who he knows by name. You who he knows better than anyone else who has ever known you. And yet loves you more than anyone, than anyone who could ever love you. You want to know who this child is reaching out for, my friends. The message of Christmas is that it's you. Amen.